Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. And he, Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answered from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his perseverance, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your children, child, asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for the egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the God. Uh, well, the last time I think that I preached in this chapel, if I remember rightly, although I may not because I don't remember that well, um, I think was about seven years ago. Um, uh, and at that time, I was a curate at St. Michael's in North Carlton, and uh, Reese had asked me to come back uh, as a kind of uh, ex-student, I suppose, to come and preach in chapel. And um, had two children then, uh, Asana, about three years old, and my daughter, who was still a baby. Uh, and the night before I came to speak, I had been up very late. Uh, actually, really, I had been up all night with a crying baby. Um, it had been a particularly terrible night. <laughs> but every night with our daughter actually uh, was pretty bad. Um, from the moment she was born until she was 18 months old, every single night, she didn't sleep unless she was held or rocked or patted or, or, you know, all night long, basically. And so at 3 a.m. the night before, Tom and I had been up trying to calm our baby and we'd been arguing with each other in the hallway about our strategy 
Because, you know, at, at 3 a.m., after 300 days of no sleep, you're not thinking very clearly. And now seems like a great idea, time, the perfect time to kind of discuss how to parent your children. So I arrived to a preaching chapel and, you know, I was not feeling good. <laughs> I don't really remember how that uh, sermon went. I don't really remember much about that period of my life except for how tired I was. Even after our daughter stopped feeding overnight, she would still uh, only sleep really when held in, in small stretches. I paced and I rocked and I bounced. Some of you know this and I swaddled and I, I sat and I walked and I cried and I prayed. Eventually, uh, I took to sleeping on the floor, kind of laid out next to her cot so that I could still sort of stick my arm in and and touch and just sort of pretend that I was asleep. Both of uh, my babies had some challenges as babies, as many um, do. Both of mine with breastfeeding, which was really difficult for me. And as I look back now on that period, I, um, I think that probably I had kind of undiagnosed postnatal depression that I didn't deal with, I was unwilling to deal with. I gave all that I could for my babies. I gave everything that I had, physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. All of me I poured out for them. I gave till it hurt, and it hurts now even, as perhaps you can tell, to remember it. But I would do it again, any day. Every day, I would do anything for my babies and for their good. And Jesus says, this is what God's love for us is like. Like a parent who wants to meet the needs of a child. I'm not an exceptional mother. I'm a pretty selfish person, really. Um, I struggled in that period. Parents the world over do more and more the same. Every day they give up much more in much harder circumstances. My sister-in-law has three uh, children and one day she was walking carrying her first baby in her arms. He was still a tiny little baby. And as she was walking, she uh, must have tripped on something and she began to fall. And as she kind of felt herself begin to topple, I guess all the options of what she might do in this moment ran through her head. And uh, usually as you begin to fall, you know, what do you do? You use your arms, right, to balance yourself. Your arms come out maybe to kind of balance or to grab onto something or if you fall, they, they cushion you on the ground. But she couldn't use her arms because she held her baby in her arms. And so as she fell, uh, instead of tipping her her body forward and and using her arms. She just bent her knees and kind of somehow got all her weight through, through, down through her knees and kind of just straight onto the ground. Her baby's still safe in her arms. This is just kind of everyday run-of-the-mill parenting, right? You don't have to think about it. You don't weigh it up. You don't wish that you hadn't done it or that you didn't do it. You just do it. Jesus says, this is what God is like towards us. His children. 
This is the fatherly love of God towards us. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? This is uh, the title of this mini little three-week series, um, chapel sermon series. I'll be preaching each week from a parable from Luke's gospel that all take this similar form to teach us something about the character of God. How much more? The form of uh, this sort of parable has a couple of technical names in different languages, uh, a fortiori in Latin and something I can't pronounce in Hebrew and others. Uh, But basically the form of this argument, it goes from something lesser to something greater. That is, if the argument holds in this case under these conditions, how much more will it be true under these? If you human with your limitations, selfishness, sinfulness, tiredness, grumpiness, will do X, how much more will God? If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So these verses at the end of the passage that we read in 11 to to 12 provide the key to this funny parable that we heard at the start in verses 5 to 8 about the friend who visits another friend at midnight to ask for some loaves of bread. The parable itself ends at verse 8, but then then Jesus gives a few extra words of explanation which help us, I think. If it ended at verse 8, we we might be in trouble uh, to wonder about what on earth this is trying to teach. But these sections here, verses 9 to 10, and then in 11 to 12, help us to make sense of it. In fact, 9 and 10 and then 11 to 12 uh, kind of tell us, I think, what are the two main points of the parable, which are taught from the two main characters in the parable. So you've got two explainers in 9 to 10 and 11 to 12 that correspond to the two main points and the two main characters in the story. These are first the encouragement to ask God boldly for the things that you need. This is verses 9 to 10. And it's, it's the man who comes to ask his friend for the bread in the story. Secondly, it's the promise that God is willing and ready and delights to answer us when we ask. That's 11 to 12. And illustrated, perhaps in a funny way, by the neighbour who responds to his friend who visits. So one character to teach us something about God, God's nature, God's character, and one character to teach us something about what it is to follow this God. So far, so good, perhaps, but but maybe not. This sleeping man, the one who gives bread in response to his neighbour's request, is the God character, right? But what are we learning? His giving is likened to God's giving. Is this what God is like? Tired? 
Grumpy? Unwilling to respond? Is God a reluctant giver? And, and if this is the picture in this story, it doesn't kind of fit with what we've got in 11 to 12. This parable has confused a lot of people, uh, especially because it's quite similar to another parable that we'll look at in two weeks' time from chapter 18, where persistence does in fact seem to be part of the point. And so persistence here is often read into this story and in fact was in the translation uh, that Victoria read, but not in all translations uh, of this parable. Is it teaching that we have to badger God, that we have to overcome his reluctance to annoy him until he gets up out of bed, to wait long enough, to ask enough times, to ask the right words or the right way or the right amount? How does this work? But if you have a look again at at, uh, those verses at the start of the passage in verses 5 to 7, it's a little bit tricky, but but they start here with another kind of classic feature of this a fortiori parable, which is this hypothetical that Jesus um, is kind of uh, giving us here that starts, suppose one of you has a friend. So we're kind of imagining this scenario. He's, He's starting to tell us a little story. Suppose one of you has a friend. So this hypothetical is about what happens about what your friend would or wouldn't do if you go to him at midnight with a need for bread. I don't think uh, I've been woken at midnight with a request for three loaves of bread. I don't know if you have either. But I have had late night, well, I've had late night babies, (laughs) obviously. I've had late night phone calls for emergency trips to the hospital to pick someone up from somewhere where they're stuck emergency babysitting, friends in distress, uh, late night calls for our help. I don't know about you, but I've never said no to any of them. If someone calls you in the middle of the night, they need you. They really need you. Otherwise, they wouldn't call, right? And, and this is um, the, the phrase that's so sometimes translated persistence, but in the version I've got, and perhaps you've got in front of you, this shameless audacity, uh, which still doesn't quite get it perhaps, but it's about the need of the asker. When your friends are kind of suddenly in in ISO and (laughs) need medicine or rat tests or supermarket shopping, whatever it is they need, you get it, you go, right? (laughs) Now, there are some things we might not get up for. Or we might not get up for in a hurry. When I was younger, I had a cat and every morning my cat came and scratched at my bedroom door and I did not want to get up for my cat. I did not get up to open the door, but my cat kept scratching. I didn't get up. And, you know, eventually every time the cat won, right, I always got up to open the door for the cat, but only because the cat really annoyed me. Uh, Last year we bought a big, beautiful, multicoloured circus-like cover for our trampoline in our backyard. It was uh, delightful. And the day we bought it, the day we put it on the trampoline, was like gale force winds at night. I woke up in the middle of the night, I heard the wind, and I thought, oh, I should get that cover off the trampoline. Uh, oh, well. Half an hour later, I woke up, I really should get that cover off the trampoline. Oh, well, <laughs> half an hour later, Tom, I think we should really get that cover. Oh, no, we can't be. We just lay there all night. We did not get up and get the cover off the trampoline. 
And we came out in the morning and the cover was broken. The trampoline had moved across the yard. It was a disaster, right? I didn't get up for my trampoline. I resent getting up for my cat. But a friend, a neighbour, a real person with a real need, a child of mine, I'm there, right? Here in this parable, it's meant to be kind of obvious, but it's not so obvious perhaps to us. So absurd that you recognise it straight away. The point is that the audience would know that no one, no one would say what this man here in the story says. Oh, I'm sorry, it's really late. I'm a bit tired and I'm in bed, so I can't get up for you. Sorry. Right? He's not going to say it. Your door is locked. Yes. You're asleep. Yes. Your children are in bed with you. Yes. But the demands of hospitality and neighbourliness in first century Jewish life, in this culture, in this town, are such that you would get up and give your neighbour what he needs. Everybody knows it. Everybody who's listening knows it. Your baby needs to feed, even though it only fed three hours ago, you get up. Someone needs to go to the hospital, you take them, right? Jesus says in verse 8, he will surely get up and give you everything you need. Now, maybe he won't want to. That's fine. Perhaps what he says is what he thinks in his heart. He'd rather stay in bed. Maybe he doesn't want to get up, but he does. He will. He will get up and give you everything you need. How much more will our heavenly Father? The point of the a fortiori argument, the lesser to the greater, is that God is like the character in some ways, but not like the character in other ways, right? In important ways, God is better. God is the greater in this story, right? God is better. And the questions in verse 11 and 12 help us again to see how it works. Which of you, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? This is an easy one, right? None of us. <laughs> None of us would do that. Which of you, if your child asked for an egg, would give them a scorpion? None of us. None of us. My uh, son now is 11 and he loves to play pranks. And one of his favourite kinds of pranks is mixing weird things into drinks and giving them to people. Now, <laughs> now we've taught him, you know, that he can't put poison in. But uh, other than that, he gets away with it. Uh, he, he used to love to do this with our neighbour and uh, with my husband. Our neighbour was a good spot. He'd make a coffee and he'd pour out half of it and he'd mix in some mud and some sand and he'd sort of take it over to Simon. Oh, Simon, I made you a coffee. <coughs> you know. Uh, he'd get an empty beer bottle and he'd fill it with water and throw in some sticks and things and give it to his dad. You know, oh, Dad, I got you a drink. Tom and Simon could always tell what was happening. They did a very admirable job of pretending not to know and of, you know, taking a sip and then <laughs> spluttering it all out. Liam was always very gratified. This year, actually, on April Fool's Day, he put soy sauce in Tom's coffee that he made in the first thing in the morning. <laughs> now, my son's funny drinks are fairly harmless and they're always played on adults who can handle it, right? But this is not the image in verses 11 to 12. It's about parents giving to children, children with legitimate needs and the images of a parent substituting that legitimately needed good thing, not with something harmless and funny but with something deadly. 
You know, it's like your anaphylactic son is hungry. Do you give him a peanut? No. Your daughter is sick and needs medicine. You don't tell her to drink bleach. <laughs> Which of you would do that? None of you would do that. Not even the worst of you. Not even on your worst day. If you then, though you are evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Maybe this seems a bit extreme then. I mean, if it's so obvious, right, why, why does Jesus say this? I'm not going to give my son a scorpion. Why does he need to say this? Well, that's what I think because, because sometimes we do think the opposite, right? That maybe God hates us. That maybe God hurts us. That, that maybe God doesn't want us to be happy. That we think that maybe God doesn't want to give us good things. That he won't give us good things that we need. We think that. Now, there are lots of unanswered questions here about suffering or about unanswered prayer, and I'm not going to answer them this morning. The former um, principal of, of Ridley, Peter Adam, used to say, and I take this as my authority, uh, that sometimes you just have to preach what's in the passage that you've got and let the other stuff come in its own time and in its own place. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to try and hear this, not all the rest of it. God will not give us evil or harm when we come to him for what we need. God will not give us evil or harm when we come to him for what we need. If you come to your heavenly father in faith, trusting in Jesus, asking him to supply your needs, he will not answer you with evil. Don't believe that he does it. He won't. Know that his heart for you is love, his desire for you is good, and his gifts to you are good. But what about this shift here to um, the Holy Spirit? In a similar saying in Matthew, it just says the Heavenly Father will give good gifts to his children. But here it says, you know, you give good gifts to your children, your Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you've heard this kind of taught, and I think I've heard this before, as a kind of, you know, just, just in case you get a bit too carried away by the idea of God's goodness and, and God's generosity and, and the sorts of things you might ask for, you know, hear this as a bit of a limitation on what God's going to give you, right? You know, you can't just, he's not just promising you any old thing, just the Holy Spirit. Your prayers have to be proper kinds of prayers, you know, for good kinds of things. There's no guarantee that you'll get anything else, just, just the Holy Spirit, to which I kind of want to say, you know, hold on a minute. Just the Holy Spirit? Just the Holy Spirit? I mean, what does that even mean, right? So the Holy Spirit is a limitation on the good things God will do in your life? As though there is anything that the Holy Spirit can't do? When God gives us the Holy Spirit, he gives us the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Paul says this in Romans 8. The one who will raise our bodies from death to life. For what is he not able? 
Yes, this reminds us that what we need most of all is to be made alive by God's spirit through Christ. That is our fundamental need. Like a baby needs milk, we need life from God. There's no just to the Father's gift of the Holy Spirit, this life that he gives. It's resurrection power. It's healing power. It's bread and fishes multiplying power. It's sin-crushing, character-forming, life-renewing power able for all things. Which leads us to our second point from this parable, to our second character, and this one's simple. What do we learn about living as disciples of Jesus, as children of the Heavenly Father? Ask. Ask God. Ask with shameless audacity, as it says in the story. Ask in the middle of the night. Ask when you're caught short. Ask when you don't have what you need to do what you're called to do, when you don't have bread, when you don't have money, when you don't have time, when you don't have energy, when you don't have what you need. Ask, seek, knock. Get up and go to your heavenly Father. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Doesn't sound much clearer than that. And let's face it, not always, not always, and this is if if this is not you, don't hear this. Sometimes, maybe most of the time, the weak link in the asking, receiving relationship is not the giver, right? It's the asker. For me, that's certainly true. You do not have because you do not ask God. God is willing to give, but we are slow to ask many times. I gave a lot to my kids, but I confess I didn't always do it in a generous spirit. And it hurt me. I was tired. I was grumpy. I was in pain. I was short with them, frustrated, angry, depressed, despairing. I gave because I had to, I wanted to, they needed me, I loved them, but it was hard. And the longer it went on, the harder it got. Many times I didn't and I don't and I can't give them what they need. My best will not be enough. In some ways, maybe in important ways and maybe in terrible ways, I will fail and hurt them. Many of us have parents, mothers or fathers who have failed us or hurt us in terrible ways. But here's the greater part of the lesser to the greater. God's love for his children is greater than the love of human parents. God's patience with his children is greater than the patience of human mothers. God's goodness to his children is greater than the goodness of human fathers. He wants to give good to you. And he doesn't get tired. He doesn't run out of energy or bread or resources. He doesn't need to sleep. He doesn't run out of love or kindness or power. He doesn't run out of the Holy Spirit. He's not hungry or cold or distracted or selfish. How much more will God give to his children who ask? God has more. More love, more grace, more forgiveness, more power more joy, more patience, more of the Holy Spirit 
more of everything to give to you and to me and to all of us, to all of his children. There's no limit. How do we know? How can we be sure? Why should you believe it? Because he's already given you everything. In Romans 8, again, Paul has his own little how much more moment. He's grappling there with the question of suffering and groaning under the weight of the brokenness of our lives and the world. And he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, it's kind of a how much more, along with him graciously give us all things, all things. The one who offers us the fullness of this good gift of the Holy Spirit is the one who has already poured himself out for us, given himself over to death. He has given it all. How much more will he not also give us all things? Do you know God's fatherly love for you? The love that has given everything, that will give, that keeps on giving? God is awake. He's ready. He's not tired. He's not reluctant. He's standing at the door and his goodness overflows. His heart for you, I I can only imagine, is a little bit like, but oh, so much more than the way that my heart melts at the sight of my daughter's sleeping face. The way that it bursts with joy when my son, you know, at age 11 still tells me that he loves me. The way that my heart breaks when my children suffer the way that it delights when they want and need me. That's his heart. God wants to. He is ready and willing and able to give good gifts to you. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So ask, seek and knock. Amen.